Hey, let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we left off there in Matthew chapter 4 and speaking about Jesus who said to those fishermen, he said, follow me. And really the idea is that, is that we're lost. We are lost. We don't know the way. We need to find the way. We can't find the way on our own. We need Jesus Christ. And, and so Jesus said, follow me that I know the way. I'll help you. I'll show you. I'll lead you. I will guide you. And I, and I just you know, know that he is so faithful to do that through this life, but not just through this life, but to the other side when we get home. Because our citizenship, our, our home is in heaven. And, and uh, we need to follow him and follow his example, follow his word, follow his voice, listen for his voice until we get home, until we get all the way home. Until then, we've got to hold on. He's holding on to us. We've got to hold on to him too. We need to persevere. He called these four fishermen, though, and uh, they're all so different. Each one had very different personalities, even though they were all fishermen. They were all different, and, and God used them in all different ways and different times of their lives. Their, their, you know, their paths you know, went down different directions, and each of us are so different as well, and we're, but we're all called to follow him, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your personality is like. He's called us to follow him and put, put aside our excuses. And get on with it. Now, ch chapter 4, I want to finish chapter 4 today, and I realize I'm not going very fast. I don't think I'll always move this slow, but I'm not going to make any promises because, uh, you know, things happen. And, and we're about to start the next three chapters. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is just like, they say it's one of the most incredible pieces of, of writing ever <laughs> Uh, in the history of man, and, I, and I, I believe that, and I think it's uh, very powerful. So I'm not going to race through it. I'm going to you know, take uh, my time as we get through it, but um, you know, after that, maybe we'll speed up a little bit. So today we'll do three verses. Look at, uh, look at verse 23 through verses 25. Uh, it says there, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, and he had this threefold, what I want to call the threefold ministry of Jesus. Y'all, did you catch that there? The threefold ministry of Jesus. Did you see, what is it? Do you see them there, those three things? What are they? Teaching, preaching, and healing. Those three things. We see Jesus doing that. And again, we're, we're called, this is right on the heel, the heels of him telling his disciples, follow me. And then he goes out and he's going to all these places and he's teaching them. And he's preaching and he's healing. The threefold ministry of Jesus. And, I, and, and when I've been looking at these verses and thinking about this, all three of these are very, very, very important. 
And we really need all three. We need the balance of all three. What happens when we get into trouble? When one thing gets out of balance and that's all you ever do. That's all you ever do is teach. And then we become so, you know, kind of full of all this head knowledge and our heads are like way bigger than our bodies and we're kind of like struggling to keep, you know, uh, our balance. Or, you know, all we ever do is preach and, and you know, we're going to talk about some of the differences you know, but, you know, I could run up and down here and, and do that preaching thing. You know, we have maybe some misconceptions of what preaching is, but, you know, it can all be emotion. And maybe you've been to a place where that's all it is, is preaching to get you stirred up and emo, emotion stirred up. But if that's all you have, you know, there's no foundation, there's no balance. Or maybe, uh, you know, just healing. That that's all we, we want, that's all we pray about, that's all we look for, that's all we you know, are interested in is, is healing, for God to heal. And I've seen people you know, get so out of balance, all they want to see is that, that's all they're looking for. But I want to say to you today, today that, that we, need, we need a balance of all three. All three are important. So we're going to look at all three of those. Jesus went throughout Galilee, and it wasn't a very big area, was it? We, we talked about how big it was. Anybody remember? The size of Galilee is about the size of what? Of Rhode Island. So he kind of went around, you know, he was an itinerant preacher, but he didn't get very far. No planes, no trains, no automobiles. So he kind of just walked most places and, and went uh, throughout this region of Galilee. And it says here in verse 24 or 23, he went throughout Galilee and he was teaching in their synagogues. The first thing that he talks about here. Some say, well, this is the order of importance, but I don't think it is because we already saw earlier that he was preaching, uh, you know, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He, he already, we already saw that earlier in the book, right? So, you know, I don't know there's any, you know, order of that, but the first thing that's mentioned here is teaching, right? It says he went teaching, and, and the first thing he would do, he, was go to, he would go to the synagogue, Paul the Apostle did the same kind of thing, and he would teach there, and the synagogue was this place where the Jews could go and they would study the scripture and they could gather together there. And there was a, a, you know, a synagogue located in every uh, town, every area. They, you know, it, it was different than the temple. It wasn't the temple. The temple was you know, the temple. And the synagogues, though, kind of came about um, uh, after the exile and, and maybe began during the exile when they were thrust out of the land and they, they needed to have a place to get together and, and study and learn. And so Jesus went there and he would teach in the synagogue. And, and, and you, you know what it says in, in different places. It says the people were amazed at what? At his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. There were lots of other teachers. There were lots of teaching, a lot of teaching going on. But when Jesus started teaching, there was something different. There was something about what he was saying. Now, this idea about teaching, though, I, I, I looked up the, you know, different words that had to do with teaching. And, and in the scripture, there was like 271 occurrences of like teach, teaching, you know, taught, that kind of thing. Uh, almost 300 occurrences of this idea of teaching. That kind of makes it what? Important. Kind of important, I think. Uh, Tony said, you know, we're in Sunday school this morning, and, and maybe that is kind of true. We're, we're here and we, we study, but, you know, this idea of teaching, let's look at that by itself for a minute. It's, just, it's this idea of instruction, where you're learning. 
And, and uh, you know, there are words like doctrine. And, and really the word doctrine simply means what? A teaching, a, a lesson or a teaching, a doctrine. And, and, but, but teaching has this idea of explanation. And, you know, the disciples who were following after Jesus, they needed to be taught. We all need to be taught. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to be taught what that means, right? We need someone to explain to us what is this... What does the Bible say? What does it mean? And, and how do we apply it to our lives? You know, we, we uh, again, we're going to get to the other two, but teaching is very, very important. We need to have this foundational uh, uh, teaching. We need to, to build on something that's strong. It makes all the other things fit together, you see, when we have this teaching. And, and, and you say, well, we're in class again, and, uh, you know, I thought I was coming to church but I'm coming to class, and it's like school. And, you know, when I, you know, I don't really like school. How many of you just hated school when you were growing up? Some of you, and you say, you know, but I don't, Molly, stop. <laughs> you know, school. Oh. And then you come here, and it, says, it feels like school. I'm going to, I can't take it. But Jesus went around teaching people and, said, and, and, you know, sit down. I've got something I need to teach you about the Sermon on the Mount, you know, full of teaching. In the, in the, in the passages in here, we, we see different areas where there's teaching, there's preaching, and there's healing. Jesus involved in all three. Paul said that all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God. All Scripture, this, this book... Is inspired by God as God breathed. And the first thing he says it is useful for is teaching. And then he goes on to say, though he doesn't stop there, he says, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This word, he says, is useful for teaching. Now it's it's you know it's important. Teaching is important, but it's also important what we get taught, right? You know, and, and, and so what, what we do is we, we want to teach what the Bible says, not what man says, not what, you know, some philosopher says, not what, you know, some uh, rock star says. Though, you know, our world is, you know, we're, we're all looking towards so many other areas, but what does the Bible say? And, and so we teach the Bible the best that we can, and we, we, we teach the Bible. We go through a book verse by verse, chapter by chapter, to see what the Bible says. Because we need to be taught. You know, school isn't over. And you've heard this kind of saying, too, that, you know, once we start learning, once we stop learning, I, I mean to say, what happens? You know, we stop growing. We stop, you know, we, we're just like uh, dead in our tracks. So we're in, we're in school and we're trying to build foundation. Paul talks about in Ephesians, he says, you know, they, they had, um, you know, different kinds of ministries, and, but he says there that, that the idea was that we would no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. He says the idea is that we get taught so that we know. And, and, and when these weird teachings come, we're going to have a strong foundation what the truth is, so that, so that when some weird thing comes along, we're going to go, red lights are going to come on. We're going to go, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the scripture says. That's not what I've been taught. 
out of the Bible. You know, we need to grow up. You know, we need, he talks later about, uh, you know, not just living on milk, but having solid food and, and, and learning and growing. And that takes what? It takes time. You can't learn it all on one Sunday, can you? Some of you can. Some, you know, are, are, are brighter than others. I know for me it just takes years and years and years. I, I, I think I'm just starting to understand some things. You know, I'm just starting. I feel like I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a very late bloomer. Uh, not bloomers, bloomer. I'm a very late bloomer. I'm just starting to understand a few things now. And I'm, you know, like I told you last week, I'm still pretty young, but um, I'm just starting to get it. The, the teaching of God's word is starting to, you know, make sense. Some of it that, that I didn't understand before. Because God is, is he's teaching us. And, and I remember when I was a young believer and, and there were so many things I didn't understand. But the Lord, I remember it was just like the Lord was, was you, know, was, you know, that what I needed to learn right then, he was helping me to understand. But I didn't have to understand it all. And I, I never will understand it all. None of us will. It's, this book is, is, um, is infinite. The truth of God is infinite. We're not going to understand it all. But, but we need to be learning and growing and, and growing up. And God has a, you know, he has a course for us. So, teaching. Jesus went out teaching. 271 occurrences in the scripture. Teaching, instruction, learning, doctrine, explanation. Very, very important. Very, very crucial. The second thing it says here, it says he went preaching the good news of the kingdom. He went preaching the good news of the kingdom and say, well, isn't preaching and teaching the same thing? Aren't they the same? Well, actually, these words are different words, so they do have, you know, different meanings. Do they go together? I think what we see over and over is they, they kind of go together and they flow together many times. And we're going to look at some verses where we see them both happening. But I think this preaching, you know, the teaching, again, is this more, you know, instruction, explanation. Preaching is, is more of an explanation, I mean, excuse me, proclamation. And the idea is like the town crier, a herald who stands out on the street like, you know, heralding the, the, the latest news, the town crier of what's going on. But, but preaching is really heralding and announcing the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom. This is the first place they use that word good news or gospel in the New Testament. It's this call. It's this challenge. I think in preaching there's this challenge, this call to commitment that, that, that's kind of like, what are you going to do? Jesus Christ came. What are you going to do about it? It's kind of like, you can say it's kind of in your face, but there's, there's, there's something about the, this challenge about it, this call to commitment. There's some kind of a fire in it. That's why I think we need both. We can't just have this, you know, very quiet teaching. And some guys are like that. They just teach very quietly. And I think I was more like that for a long time and starting to freak out a little bit. But we need some kind of challenge, don't we? We need to take some of that teaching. We need to take some of the proclamation of who Jesus is and, and do something about it. They were preaching 
he says Jesus was preaching the good news of the kingdom. There's something good about this, something that we need to let people know about. I looked that up, the number of those occurrences. And again, I'm not going to make a, a, a big uh, uh, deal about this. 271 for teaching, 122 for preaching. Seems like, you know, we need preaching, but maybe they needed a little bit more of the teaching to build a foundation to preach upon, right? We need preaching, but not all the time. I'm not going to, you know, get up here and, and slam you every single Sunday. Finally, you go, you know, oh, 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 he won't stop. I got to go. You know, we need both. We need to be taught, but we need, we need to be challenged too and called to be committed and called to get, you know, to get moving. But if somebody's like hammering you every single sec- sec- second, man, you get, you know, you get kind of like burned out on that, don't you? Let's look at a few verses because this is kind of important. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and then, and then we're going to look at Romans chapter 10. Acts chapter 17 and verse 18. Paul was in Athens, and, and uh, <clears throat> he was preaching there. And it says, The group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they began to dispute with him, and some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. He got up, it says, and he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus in verse 22. He he preached, he was telling people, there's something you need to hear about, you need to know about. Sad to say, though, he didn't get a very big response there in Athens. They were more interested in, in just the, you know, the philosophy and the current philosophy of the day and, and kind of you know, that sort of thing. They really weren't, their hearts weren't stirred. And, and you know, again, we, we have teaching where we kind of, our, our, our minds are, are strengthened and the foundation, but you know, the preaching re- reaching a person's heart and their hearts were, were hard. They didn't want to know anything about it. But he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then look at, at Romans chapter 10, next book to the right, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. What does it say there? Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Very, very important. But look at verse 14 and 15. It says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? He says there's, there needs to be the message. The message needs to get out. It's okay. We need to be taught, but we also need to be challenged that Jesus Christ came into the world. The Son of God came into the world and He came to die for the sin of mankind. And and this is good news because if He didn't die for us, we were going to die for our own sin. And Jesus Christ, He came. And so how, how... how did you become a believer without somebody explaining or, or proclaiming that message to you? That Jesus Christ came to the, wor- to the world. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. 
That whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Somebody brought the word, the message to you and to me. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Preaching. Proclaiming. Being that town crier, the herald. We'll say, well, you know, I'm not a Billy Graham, you you might say. And, And, you know, none of us are Billy Graham. Billy Graham is Billy Graham. But who are you? And what's God called you to do? And what kind of gifting has he given to you? But even Timothy, who was kind of a shy, you know, from the best we can determine, kind of shy, he was was fearful in some ways. But even Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. He, He was called to be a pastor teacher. But he said, you still need to do the work of an evangelist. Even though it isn't comfortable to you, you still need to be one who proclaims. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We say, well, I'm not an evangelist, but, but God still wants to use you and me to let somebody know. I heard about, uh, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ from a friend. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't stand up on a box and start shouting at me, but he proclaimed that there's, that there's an answer, and it's, it's, it's found in this guy named Jesus, and you need to find out about it. You need to hear more about this, and he invited me to church. Teaching, preaching, and healing. So often, though, I find and looking, I want you to turn with me to Colossians. Uh, let's look at Colossians chapter 1. That's ahead about five or six books or so. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And, and I want, you know, when you're, when you're just reading your own Bibles, you're going to see these words over and over, the teaching and preaching and, and, and proclamation. Look at it in verse 27. It says there, to them God is, uh, uh, excuse me, verse yeah, 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It says we proclaim Him. Admonishing and what? And teaching. Everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. You see both there, he says, we proclaim him, but we also teach. We admonish. Admonish means like to stir you up, like you need to do something here. When you and I get admonished, we don't always like it. But he says we we, we proclaim him, we admonish, but we also teach. We don't just slam people, we don't just push people, but we, we give them a reason, a foundation, a reason for the hope. That's within them. Look at, turn with me to 1 Timothy. uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, uh, 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. That's ahead another three books or so. Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. I will get it eventually. Until I come, he says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Both, you see. Found in the Word of God. Both there. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. 
preaching and teaching. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We see it both here. Look in verse 2. He says what? Preach what? Preach the word. We already saw he said, you know, earlier that, Paul said earlier that, you know, the word of God, the scripture inspired by God, useful for teaching. But now here he says to Timothy, preach the word. Not fables, not stories, but preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. You see the, the, these facets of preaching, the correction, rebuking, encouraging. But then he says, with great patience and what? Careful instruction. There's this balance that, that takes place. The Lord wants us to be balanced. We have this preaching, but we also have the teaching. We have this careful instruction where we're learning. We're learning. Somebody said this idea about the preaching, though, and I, 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 w- I wanted to quote this to you from it's from 15, 1500s he says the test of a preacher is that his congregation goes away saying not what a lovely sermon but I will do something this idea of preaching does it stir you up are, are, does it matter what you heard we need both we need to be stirred up we need to be challenged but we also have to have a foundation something that that's built upon you know, not, not like uh, the Word of God talks about in Romans, you know, the, the, the Jews, they had a zeal without knowledge. They were out doing things, but they really didn't understand. They didn't have that foundational truth. I like this, though. I, f- I found this uh, about something that was published in, in Britain um, a while back. It says, uh, it was published in the British Weekly. It says, Dear Sir, it seems ministers feel their sermons are very important and spend a great deal of time preparing them. He said, I've been attending church quite regularly for 30 years and I have probably heard 3,000 of them. To my consternation, I discovered I cannot remember a single sermon. Some of you are going, I can't remember one either. What did we talk about last week? To be truthful to you, some, so often I can't remember what last week was about either. It says, I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else. And so then they had this, uh, you know, all these responses came into this um, newspaper. A storm of editorial responses ensued, finally ended by this letter. Dear sir, I have been married for 30 years. During that time, I have eaten 32,850 meals, mostly my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I have discovered I cannot remember the menu of a single meal. And yet, I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death long ago. See, it's not remembering all the things. See, there's, there's this thing that gets built in us that we need it to keep going on. And what I find, too, is, you know, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit bringing to our remembrance, you know, the things that he told us, that he taught us, is that, that, you know, you may not remember them tomorrow, but but when they need to be remembered, the Holy Spirit's going to help you remember them. That's what I find. The Holy Spirit helps us to remember those things that we've learned. And you may not remember about this sermon, you know, uh, 10 minutes from now, but, but, but it's gotten into your mind, hopefully, and gotten into your heart, hopefully. 
and something, you know, is stirred within you and, and there's just this foundation that, of the scripture. And maybe a little bit of that challenge too that, you know, I, I, need to, I need to, you know, be learning and growing. I need to grow up. I need to be a light around me and, and let people know, proclaim that Jesus Christ is alive. And, he's, and he died for our sins and rose from the dead. The third thing, now let's go back to, uh, well, well, we'll stay where you are because, because I'll just read it to you but, <clears throat> because I want you to go somewhere else after this. The third thing is this idea that Jesus went around healing every disease and sickness among the people. So we've seen the teaching 271 times, the preaching 140 some odd times, and now this idea of healing is about 145 times, a little bit more than the preaching in terms of number. And again, I'm not making a big deal out of that. It's just kind of an interesting thought. But this idea of healing, is, it isn't just mentioned once or twice, but in the you know, 150 type, you know, some odd times. We believe in teaching, don't we? We believe in preaching, right? Well, what about healing? Yes, the truth of, of, of this is that Jesus' healing authenticated his message. It built a foundation. It authenticated his message, who he was. It backed it up that he really was the Son of God. But yet, Jesus went and did all three. And yet, even after Jesus uh, you know, ascended into heaven, there was still healing. Even in the Old Testament, before Jesus, there are prayers in the Psalms for, for you know, people to ask God to be healed. And I believe that Jesus did all three and that Jesus is alive today and, and the truth is we need healing. We need the healing of Jesus Christ. You say, oh no, here we go. We're going to, you know, we're going to start doing all kinds of weird things. You know, this isn't anything weird than we, we pray for people to be healed all the time, do we not? So are we just hypocrites? We're going to pray for people to be healed but we don't really believe that it could ever happen? Well, then why should we pray for them to be healed? Just stop praying that prayer if you don't think that he's going to do anything. It's a waste of time. But the truth is, is that this world is, is messed up. This world is broken. D.A. Carson said that sickness and pain is directly or indirectly from living in a fallen world. We live in a fallen, broken world, and, and you know what? We, we need healing. We need this, this wholeness that comes. 145 times. Here we, 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 we see, you know, it said Jesus, you know, he went around healing. And, and healing of all different kinds, you know. Body, soul, and spirit. We are sick. We are sick. Not only are we lost, but... But once even we get found, we're still sick. We, we have illness of all type and especially spiritual uh, illness. But he, it says that he, he healed those that were ill with various diseases. And how many diseases are there on the planet? He, those that were suffering severe pain, he touched them. Those that were demon-possessed, he touched and set them free. Those that were having seizures, those that were paralyzed, it says he healed them. All these different needs that people had. You say, well, does, does he still heal today? Yes, he does. I believe he does. Does he heal everybody? No, I don't think he does. But should we pray? 
So I want you to turn with me to James, James chapter 5. And that's just after the book of Hebrews, just ahead a little bit. James, just before Peter, James chapter 5. And, and you know, uh, you say, well, that's uh, the verse that all the charismatic and, and Pentecostal churches use. Well, it's in the Bible, isn't it? It's true, isn't it? Look at verse uh, um, 14. James chapter 5, verse 14. If, is, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that, what? You may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then he goes on to give the example of Elijah. He was a man just like us. He says that, that, you know, we need to be praying for people. It's the right thing to do. And God is able to heal. God is able to work. And we have so many different needs. So many different types of pain. So many different types of suffering in this broken, hurting world. But we, we, we need to know that God is able to touch and heal. Does God use doctors? Yes, he does. No question about it. But ultimately, what I, what I have noticed is the doctors, they can only go so far, and then they kind of like, well, let's just get you to this point and then see if it'll, you know, heal. Let's see if it'll, it'll come back together. Let's see if it'll, it'll uh, knit back together. You have surgery, but, but you know, if, 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 the, if God's hand didn't bring that body back together again, it wouldn't matter what the surgeon did, right? The healing process still needs to take place. Does God always heal? I ask the question, no. Does he always give total healing? No. Paul the Apostle, you know this is true. And, and, and he said, you know, three times he had this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, and, and to, to torment him. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Even Paul the Apostle was not healed of this problem that he had, whatever it was. So do we just not pray anymore? I heard a story this week. I was with some, some uh, at a conference this week, and, and one of our brother uh, pastors uh, from Calvary Chapel in Cape Cod is, is very, very ill. He has a leukemia. And, he, and, and he's very, very ill, and, and he's been in the hospital for six months now. And, uh, but <clears throat> he, he had a procedure done about a week and a half ago. And while and it was a dangerous procedure, and they had to go into his esophagus, but while they were in there, they, they perforated, they made a hole in his esophagus, and he, and he started bleeding, uh, bleeding profusely. But, you know, right after I heard this story and, and, and uh, the people at his church in Cape Cod, they gathered together and they had a prayer meeting. And, and, and I was told this, and I believe it is, is the way it happened. As they were praying, when they got together and pray, uh, prayed, that crisis passed. The bleeding stopped. You hear about stories about people being healed in different parts of the world. And for some reason, we have, we, you know, we kind of like... 
I don't know what it is, but you hear about, like in India, you hear these stories, Gospel for Asia missionaries who we pray for and support. You know, God uses them at different times. Not, I don't believe every person they touch gets healed. But God is able to heal in his own sovereign prerogative. But this friend of ours, Tony, you know, he, he, you know, he brought him through this very serious crisis, but yet he's still struggling. He's still you know, struggling to, to beat this thing and, and to be able to go back to his home. The psalmist said, I referred to this, he says, O Lord my God, O Lord my God, I call to you for, for help, and you healed me. Jesus says, by his wounds we are healed. Yeah, there's all different kinds of healing. There's healing of the mind. There's healing of the spirit. There's healing of our bodies. And, and you know what? He can do those things here and now today. Ultimately, but we need to bring him. Just like, just like those four men who brought that, that, that paralyzed person, paralyzed man. It says that they, they, they couldn't get to Jesus. What? Because of the crowd that was in the house. So what did they do? They went up on the roof and they busted open the roof. Because they believed that, that they needed to bring him to Jesus. They need to go to Jesus for the help they need. I believe with all my heart that God has healed me in lots of different ways. Maybe, maybe not physically. I don't know that I've had any, any serious issues that I've ever needed that kind of healing from. Well, maybe I had a headache one time and he healed me from a headache. I don't know. I mean, you know. Or maybe it was the Tylenol. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has done healing within me. And God has done healing up in here. And some of you say, well, there's still a ways to go. But yeah, that's all right. It's a process and he's working and he, he's healing me from, from lots of different uh, things. that You know, just, just life. And I believe he wants to heal. Someone said this, suppose our bodies never healed. Suppose we carried with us all through life the scrapes and cuts and bruises of childhood and everyday accidents. There are people who never heal emotionally. They carry with them through life the emotional bruises that could be healed. Worse, there are others who experience no spiritual healing of the inner person, though it is readily available through the great physician, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's available for us, for you, and for me today. This uh, survey I read about, this is an interesting, in 1996 they did a survey of the uh, American Academy of Family Physicians. It said, uh, percentage of the family doctors who are convinced that religious belief can heal, 99%. They believe that, you know, God could do something. I think, I think for a doctor, you know, maybe that, you know, they can see, they, they understand they can only go so far. They're just practicing. God doesn't need to practice. He knows how to do it. Percentage of, of doctors who believe the prayers of others can help a, a patient's recovery. And they're disco discovering that more and more, 75%, realizing that it helps when people go in and pray for people. Believe faith healers can make people well. That dives down to 38%. It's not faith healers. It's, it's, it's prayer. And it's God. Someone said this. The Sunday morning congregation is a hospital. I like that. It's a classroom, okay. 
but it's also a hospital. And you come here because, you, you know, you know that you're kind of messed up somehow and you need help, right? Now, you may not want to admit that. You come here, you know, you're all looking good and, you know, you're, you know. But the truth of the matter is, why are you here? Because you know you need something from God. You need a touch from God. You need to be healed. You need to learn. You need to grow. You need to grow up. You need the, the, you know, everything and anything that God has for you. Otherwise, why bother? You could go down to the beach. You know, you could worship, worship the waves or the sun. But you've, you've taken time out of your life to come and actually go to a place we call church. In, in Israel, they call them the congregations. But keep in mind this too, you know, that the ultimate healing is heaven. The ultimate healing is heaven. We're not going to get it all here. You know, Lazarus, he, he, he got healed, right? Lazarus, he, was, he, was, he died. And he got that healing. He got raised from the dead. But you know what? He died again. The ultimate healing. We need to know this is heaven. But until we get there, we need to remember that, that the Lord Jesus wants to work in our lives in lots of different ways, lots of different ways. Hosea, the prophet, said, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but, but he will bind up our wounds. He will bind up our wounds. Some of it, you know, he's using in our lives to get our attention, and, and, and then he will actually be the one that heals us. He'll bind up our wounds. John Wimber said, My responsibility is to pray. God's responsibility is to heal. If he chooses not to do so, that's his responsibility. Why don't we look and we'll close with this, Revelation chapter 21. Let's go to the end of the story. Revelation chapter 21. Ultimately, this is where we are heading. This is where we're going towards. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who, has, he who was seated on the throne said, I make I am making everything new. This is what we're looking forward to. The truth is God could heal us right here and right now of, of one thing or another thing. But next month, something else might come up. But until we get to the other side, when it's all going to be healed, that's the ultimate healing. But in the meanwhile, Jesus, he went around, he was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing people of their needs and the, the terrible things they were facing. Maybe you need healing today and, and, and uh, you want to come for prayer. I don't think we have any oil here right now, but, but there are people who will pray for you, people who care about you to pray for you. You don't even have to tell them what your problem is. I want you to know that, and, and we say this often, you know, is that we, we believe that God hears our prayers and that we're here to pray for you, 
uh, every single Sunday, and, and, and some Sundays people come for prayer, some Sundays they don't, but we're always here. Why? Because we believe that God wants to, to do a work in us. And, and, and we're, we're, we're just, just smart enough to know that people have needs. And we've got to keep praying. And, and, and maybe we pray a little bit like Jesus, you know, like the guy who couldn't see, you remember? And he prayed for him, and then what happened? He could kind of see a little bit better, right? You know the story? And what did he do? He kind of prayed for him again, in a sense, and, and he finally he was able to see again. We keep praying. We pray. We keep praying. We study. We keep studying. The Word of God teaches us these things. Shall we pray together? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that we're broken. We live in a broken world. We're hurting. We live in a hurting world. We're fallen. We live in a fallen world. But Lord, we know that you're the one that has the answers. And we come to you, we come to you for the answers, the way, the truth, and the life. We come to you with all the different needs in our lives. Maybe, maybe it is that the, the scripture as we read it is what's going to heal us and set us free to know the truth and the truth will set us free. Maybe it's somebody praying for us. Maybe someone caring for us. Maybe someone even challenging us with the truth of Scripture that will bring that healing into our lives. Maybe, maybe some of it's our own fault and we're just going down the wrong path and we need to get challenged to get off that path and, and find the true path. But maybe it's just, it's just this world we live in and we're, we're, we're Lord, we're overburdened and we, we, we can't seem to get up under it, Lord. I, uh, and we come to you this morning and say, God, heal us. God, touch us. You know the needs that we have in our minds, in our spirits, in our bodies. But we look to you, Lord, in this, as a sovereign Lord. You, you do as you will, Lord, but we, but we come and, and we ask you humbly and say, Lord, we need you. We need you desperately today. Touch us, Father. God, I pray for, for each person here, Lord. You know each need, each person by name. You know what they're struggling with or not struggling with or maybe next week they're going to face or maybe they're going to hear something that, that, that is going to rock their world. Lord, you be the one to, to be there with them and hold on to them to get them through. I believe, you, I believe Lord, you are faithful and you will get each one of us home. Safe passage home, home to heaven. In the meantime, Lord, we hold on to you as you hold on to us. In Jesus' name, amen.